Welcome to Spew, Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Queerness, and I have Asperger's Syndrome. I'm Lavender, and my daughter, Abby Kadabi, has nonverbal autism. And I now call this 14th meeting of Spew to order. Hello, Queerness. Hello, Lavender. How have you been this month, week, two I've weeks? I've been all right. Well, yeah, it's our first time doing a second episode. I'm pretty excited about that. We've been all right over here in our neck of the woods. Busy, busy, busy. We're about to, the countdown to our move has officially started and just a little crazy, but it's all right. Hmm. How about you? I had a, another meltdown at work because this chick who is on her father's plan was complaining because she used to get a 20% discount and no longer gets the discount and wants to be back on that old plan. And I said, but even with the discount, that old plan was more expensive. And she said, I don't care. And I was so angry. I screamed for like, two hours straight and slammed myself into things and somehow hurt my ribs and my ribs still kind of hurt. We got some important dates coming up in the next two weeks. February 24th, a couple things happened. The second task of the Triwizard Tournament and also Newton's Commander's birthday. Newt. I, I just love every time I come across the fact that his name is Newton and then I just remember that his name is Newton and it makes me happy. <laughs> it makes you happy. <laughs> we also have a lot of birthdays this month. We do. And this is just going to be the second half of the month. February 17th is Bonnie Wright's birthday. February 21st is Alan Rickman's birthday. The 22nd is Julie Walters. The 25th is James and Oliver Phelps. And the 27th is Timothy Spall's birthday. I wonder if that was just like a lot to handle on set, all of those back-to-back birthdays. I wonder if they just had like (laughs) a bunch of little parties, you know, back-to-back for everybody, or they've just said, okay, there's too many. Let's just have one party for everybody. Big cake. Sounds like an excuse to have cake every day. (laughs) So what are we talking about for this week? So this week we are going to review Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's slash Philosopher's Stone as if it was a (laughs) metaphor for autism. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was originally published in 1997, but it takes place between 1991 and 1992. As most everybody is aware, the name was changed by Scholastic to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because they decided that American kids did not want to read a book called the Philosopher's Stone. And just to clarify a misconception, American kids do in fact know what the word philosopher means. This is a horrible, horrible rumor that is not true. Philosopher is a boring person who thinks up smart stuff, and (laughs) I would not have wanted to read a book about a philosopher at that age. Whereas I totally would have. I I just wanted to read everything at that point. Anything I could get my hands on. I was trying to get those AR points. (laughs) (laughs) Oh... (laughs) For those of you who don't know what AR is, that is Accelerated Reading. It was a program in which you would take a computer test on books to prove that you read them. 
and then you would earn points. You get like pizza parties and stuff, and back in the day, that was just the ultimate goal. <laughs> oh, you actually earned rewards? We just got points, and we didn't understand why, and so there was not much of what? incentive. No, I, I, I got rewarded, not just with points, with pizza parties and, you know, the cool slap bracelets and stuff, man. You got gypped out of your accelerated reading program. <laughs> Now, the original idea for the name of the book was actually going to be Harry Potter and the School of Magic, but it just doesn't have the same ring to it, and they kind of went back and forth with it before they finally landed on Sorcerer's Stone. Much better choice than School of Magic, in my opinion. Uh, School of Magic was kept for certain translations, like the French version did end up using it. Also, I'd like to point out, before we really get started, Lavender, you reread your original Sorcerer's Stone book. I actually listened to the Philosopher's Stone audiobook with Stephen Fry. So I, I listened to the Stephen Fry Philosopher's Stone audiobook, and there was actually just a couple little things that really stuck out to me that I was just like, I don't know what this means. Why are they saying this word? The one thing that really stuck out to me was <laughs> revise. Where we would say study, they said revise, and it took me a minute to figure out what they were saying. Oh, I did not know that. But for the most part, I had no issue understanding any of it in its proper English. Alright, so we kind of broke this down chapter by chapter, and the very first sentence of the very first chapter was the biggest thing that stuck out to me about the whole book, and that is that the Dursleys were perfectly normal, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And I think this is absolutely even if this was in fact a book about a kid being diagnosed with autism this could still be the very first sentence and still completely work there was also in this first chapter a lot of references to making sure we knew that the potters were not normal which was just kind of sad right yeah also wizards are really bad at keeping secrets and whispering which is definitely mm -hmm. a, a thing i relate to <laughs> and the last thing I noticed in this chapter was something that definitely speaks to Dumbledore being odd and could be something that is autism related or it could just be one of the earliest references that Dumbledore is gay and that is when he appears he is wearing a purple robe and high heel boots mm-hmm I think they could also just speak to Dumbledore doesn't care what people think of him <laughs> and almost kind of relishes in being in a little different. Yeah. And to touch on the, you know, the first sentence of the book, the perfectly normal, thank you very much. That was something that obviously stuck out to me as well. And, you know, upon reading that, I thought it would be really easy to find all these metaphors that we're looking for in this review. And as we were talking about earlier, queerness, that just wasn't the case. <laughs> No, it, it was actually quite difficult. I expected this to be very easy going into it. And the first several chapters, I found all sorts of metaphors and stuff that worked very well. But as the book becomes more fantastical as it goes on, that was not the case. And it actually became very difficult to find these connections. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I felt a little bad when we were... When we were trying to brainstorm from this episode, I was like, maybe I'm just not getting any because, you know, I'm not diagnosed as anything neurodiverse, but it reassured me a little when you told me that you were having problems too. I was like, okay, it's not just me. This is in fact just kind of hard, but that's okay. We accept this challenge. 
So this next chapter, we are introduced to Miss Fig, which <laughs> we know from later on in the series that she is a witch. And the biggest thing about her that stood out to me is that she's a cat person. She has lots of cats and adores her cats. Yeah, witches and, and autistic people love cats. That is my conclusion. <laughs> Although not true, Abby Cadabby does not really like her cat. Well, then there's something wrong with your cat. Her meow is quite distressing. <laughs> the next thing that kind of stood out to me was the way that Harry is just hated for no real reason other than he's different, but no one really knows how he's different. He just is different. And he also is more at home talking to animals than other humans. Mm. This was a good chapter. I mean, all of the chapters are good. I just love all of these books so much. But one of the things that stuck out to me is when Harry gets to, he actually gets to go to the zoo with the Dursleys for Dudley's birthday because what had happened, Miss Fig broke her leg or something like that. And just Harry kind of internally saying to himself, today, nothing is going to go wrong. And he's, he's you know, trying to just kind of make himself small and not notice. He's trying to contain his his difference so that he can appear normal and just enjoy the day. Mm -hmm. The next chapter is the one with the letters. And it just struck me how persistent wizards are. When it just didn't work, they just sent more letters. <laughs> Lots more mass quantities. And it's... When, when something doesn't work, you do the same thing, but you just do more of it. <laughs> Is the lesson we take from this chapter. The rejected and broken toy room <laughs> that we were introduced to in this chapter. This is where the Dursleys decide to move Harry after being confronted with the fact that, hey, you're keeping your nephew in a cupboard under the stairs when he got a letter addressed to him. And they were kind of put off by it. They moved him into the rejected toy room where he had had all these meltdowns and broken, broken all these toys. I just, I don't know why, but I find it so funny. The whole toy room dedicated just to broken items. And in the next chapter, we are introduced properly to Hagrid. And there are several things that stood out to me about Hagrid. Um, the first one being that he was the one who was actually personally sending the letters. Also, he had owls and mice in his coat pocket and did not find anything weird about this at all. And even as we kind of continue through the books, this is still not a normal thing amongst wizards. This is just a Hagrid thing. Yeah. And he also got very angry about the fact that Harry just didn't know things. And he also got very angry when people called Dumbledore names. And the, this is when I started noticing that while I went into this project expecting to find Harry to be the metaphor for autism, it was really Hagrid who was doing out, completely out of the ordinary things without realizing they were out of the ordinary. And even in the next chapter, he just kind of leaves Harry alone. And then when he comes back, he has an ice cream cone and a owl. <laughs> and so it just really stuck out to me that Hagrid is the absolute epitome of Asperger's syndrome. He just does his thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love this chapter because this is when we find out that Harry is in fact a wizard. Hagrid gets to tell Harry the good news and just that sense of relief. You you know that Harry feels that it, it explains so much because at first he doesn't believe it. And then Hagrid's like, well, what about this? And this, does that happen to you? And he's like, yeah, oh my gosh, it just makes so much sense. Yeah, exactly. We also have more information about 
Petunia's feelings about Lily. And we have this quote where she says, I was the only one who saw her for what she was, a freak. And it just made me think about how when you have multiple siblings and one of them is diagnosed with anything, how they just end up being treated differently than the other siblings and how that make the other siblings feel. Yeah, I think that was a great connection you made. And then I have this other quote. I think this is a Vernon quote where he says, I accept that there's something strange about you. Probably nothing a good beating wouldn't have cured. And as far as all of this about your parents, well, they were weirdos, no denying it, and the world's better off without them. So rude. I, this 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 made me feel very, very sad. The, the, the Dursleys just very, very mean. For no reason. They wanted to hide his weirdness. Yeah, it's kind of reminded me of that Pixar short we were talking about a couple months ago about the dad that discovers his son can fly and tries to hide it from the world. Yeah. And then the next chapter I didn't really find a whole lot other than some of the weird quirks that Hagrid has. <laughs> but I found a couple kind of off-topic things. Vampires are actually mentioned for the first time in this chapter. Yeah. Which... It still seems so weird when they show up in the later book, because even at this point, vampires almost seem mythical even to the wizards. They're just kind of, like, mentioned as an idea as to what happened to Quirrell. Also, Hogwarts students must wear name tags. Yep. That, that was a small detail left out of the movies. <laughs> I didn't have anything in this one. Now, this is where it started getting a little bit trickier mm. um at platform nine and three quarters i have a note that says everyone is talking about him behind his back and i don't remember what this is a reference to well when he's right there at the at the train station i think everybody was talking about him like even you know muggle passengers because he just he had an owl he had a big trolley full of you know his trunk and everything and then an owl yeah and i think this um speaks m more to the a little more paranoia of thinking that everyone is talking about you when really they don't care yeah but even when he gets onto platform nine and three quarters finally after figuring it out i think a lot of the kids were still kind of talking about it, like you know just like can you see him is that really him can you see a scar trying to just get like a good look at him right right or maybe that was just his paranoia. Also, when he was talking to Draco, he says, I think I can tell who the wrong sort are for myself. Thanks. And I just found that this was very much like a... I, I, I always ended up being in groups of friends that everyone else thought was weird. And it's like, why would you be friends with this group of people? And this really kind of spoke to me for that. Hmm. Also, at this point in the story, Harry feels like he doesn't know anything. Everyone else seems to know all this stuff about the wizarding world already. and He just doesn't seem to know anything, even though he's in the same situation as everyone else. He just doesn't know it yet. Yeah, he just doesn't realize it. And then when he finally gets to Hogwarts and he's waiting to be sorted, he has the thought of, if only there was a mention of a house for people who felt a bit queasy, that <laughs> would have been the one for him. And I also very much related to that, of just doing new things and rather not doing new things because you feel like you're going to throw up. <laughs> and then something else in this chapter that stuck out as being just a very autistic thing that 
everyone in the school does, and that is the school song, everyone picks a different melody and sings the same lyrics, but to a completely different melody. And I don't know if they do that every year, but that's what Dumbledore instructs, like, instructs them to do. He's like, everybody pick your favorite melody and let's all sing the Hogwarts song. Yeah, that's one of the many things that isn't specifically mentioned to be done every year. I think it the only other time it's mentioned is um, Goblet of Fire, I believe, when the other schools show up. Mm-hmm. In the next chapter, where we meet Snape properly, hmm. I actually found a connection to Snape in the fact that he hates teaching people who don't know stuff. <laughs> it is frustrating. But also, Snape is just a jerk. He's just really mean to everyone, and especially Harry, but he's just mean. Yeah, he doesn't like anybody that's not in his house, sets unrealistic expectations for these first-year school-bound children. He is. He's a jerk. Yeah. Also, this is the chapter where we really find out that Hagrid is a really bad liar. Yeah, don't tell Hagrid any of your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next chapter is the Midnight Duel, but this is the chapter where we really find out about Quidditch and the fact that McGonagall cares a lot more about Quidditch than she cares about school rules. <laughs> and she really likes school rules. But she likes Quidditch more. She does. Also, Hermione is a tattletale, but yes. <laughs> she is a stickler for the rules. Rules are important, but Quidditch is more important. Seems to be a recurring theme. I also had a thought about the fat lady, and that thought is either she just can't remember everyone's faces, or she just uses the password just because. I think she probably does just because would be I do my too. vote. And then in this chapter is when... Malfoy tries to, you know, engage, not really engage Harry in a duel, but set him up tra in a trap to get caught by Filch and, you know, challenges him to a duel. And before he can even really turn around and answer, Ron is just like, yeah, we'll meet you at midnight in the trophy room. I'm his second, just kind of accepts it for him. I just thought that was rather rude. Didn't even give Harry a chance to try to spin himself out of that situation. Right. Rude. And then the next couple chapters, I had a really hard time with these ones trying to find anything. One thing that I just kind of thought about, and that was, there's a lot of buildup for Charlie. Like, there is no way that Harry can live up to expectations of trying to fill Charlie's shoes. Because Charlie was just good at everything. Right. He's like the best seeker. He has dragons. He's just, there's just a lot of buildup about how great Charlie was. And then a couple of chapters later, we come across a scene where Snape is meeting Quirrell out in the woods and is demanding information which Quirrell is claiming he doesn't know what he's talking about and it's just I don't know if Snape is a good spy or a bad spy <laughs> well you know we don't really ever find out until the fifth book one way or the other I still don't know if he's a good spy or a bad spy. He's just, he seems like he's really bad at it, but yet he somehow succeeds at it. I think he just accidentally is a good spy, but he's really bad at it. <laughs> they don't really go into where the mirror came from. 
and how it wound up at Hogwarts, even though we kind of find out in the end, but not really. We find out why it's there, but not how it got there and where it originated from. Yeah, um, I believe Pottermore says that it was stored in the Room of Requirements for several hundred years, but beyond that, I don't know. The next big thing that really stood out to me was the fact that Hermione was able to connect this tiny bit of information from the Chocolate Frog card to some random book she happened to have that she hadn't read in two weeks. A bit of light reading. Exactly. It just feels very much like something I would do. Be able to make a, a random connection to something else that almost seemingly doesn't have a connection, but you can make it, yeah. I can see that. And then we meet Norbert, which Norbert feels like quite a bit of filler. There's not a lot of necessity here, but Ron upset the baby. How (laughs) dare Ron do that? Ron did upset the baby. I think seeing Haggard's maternal side was quite enjoyable. And then we get the Forbidden Forest. Dun dun dun. This is where we get the phrase, Mars is bright tonight. Over and over again, Mars is bright tonight. Over and over again. Because this is the only thing that the centaurs find important in any of the questions they're asking. War is coming, and that is their prediction, and nothing else matters. And I found that very accurate. Yeah, I mean, they knew what was coming. They just were forbidden to share it with humans. Except then Harry has the realization that Bane thought that Firenze should have let Voldemort kill him because it was written in the stars. And I just love the fact that this was so clearly hinted at from the very first book. I love how after Harry gets out of the Forbidden Forest, he's back in the Gryffindor common room. He's just like spewing all of these, you know, ideas that are coming to me. And it, it just reminds me of like a conspiracy spiral. Like he needs a whiteboard behind him, drawing all the lines, connecting it, trying to explain what he's thinking. Yes. Because he's just, I mean, he's just going around. And then we finally enter the trap door. Yep. And again, there was just a lot of puzzles. Puzzles are... You know what? That, that that's that's about that's it. That the fact that wizards are so attracted to puzzles apparently that speaks to me. Although there was one person who did not have a puzzle, and that was just a troll. Quirrell apparently likes trolls, and I realized in reading that that his penchant for trolls is what led to Snape actually figuring out that it was Quirrell that was trying to get through. And to your point, who the heck could love a troll? Like, I can see why Snape figured it out. Like, that's an obvious giveaway. Because nobody else in the world loves trolls. Somebody out there needs to love the trolls. I mean, do they? Yes. Trolls seem Moving pretty on. self-sufficient. We are given some information in this chapter. This is, again, not related, but a realization I had upon rereading this. That Voldemort was not attached to Quirrell's head when Harry first met him at the Leaky Cauldron. Yeah, he couldn't have been. I feel like Harry would have felt it when Quirrell shook his hand. There is that. But he also specifically states that this does not happen until after he fails to steal the stone from Gringotts. But he did meet him already. That's where the stutter came from. Right. After he met him. But yeah, he was not actually attached to his head until after he failed to steal the stone from Gringotts. I wonder if Voldemort did that as like almost a form of punishment. Like, okay, you failed in this task and you leave me no other choice. I gotta, I gotta attach myself to you. Yes, yes, yes. 
that is what happened. Yep. Also, Dumbledore plays favorites because he feels like it's the right thing to do. Here, here. <laughs> you talking about with the uh, the points? Yes. I personally feel like Neville should have got more than 10 points, but... Yeah, Neville needs to be more favorited. Everyone's a favorite, but some people are more favorited than others. <laughs> Good way of phrasing it. <laughs> so my final thoughts on the whole book was that basically Harry does not fit in. He goes to a place where he does, and he still does not fit in. And then he makes friends with people who equally do not fit in and is made fun of for it. I feel like that is my life. <laughs> so do you feel more like you identify more with this book now having read it with this mindset or do you feel like you kind of always identified with it before just as normal reading just as a bit of light reading as Hermione would say I'm gonna say yes to both of those questions I did identify with it before but more so going in with this mindset hmm, I like this all right so we've got just a couple more things we're going to talk about in this episode. But first, we're going to take a quick trip to Gringotts and I have a trivia question based on this book. And that question is, how many staircases are there at Hogwarts? Be right back. This is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for Spew at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to Spew. All right. Lavender? How many staircases are there? Um, I believe there's 312. No, that is very high. It is actually 142. Ooh, Ooh I was way off. I could have swore it was 300. It was a 300-something number. I'm going to double check. I'm pretty sure it was... Yeah, if you type 142 stair in um, Google, the first suggestion was stairways at Hogwarts. <laughs> All right, so... Going forward, the 15th of every month, we are going to be going through these books one at a time, and we are going to be looking at them through this metaphor of autism. So if we find something that you disagree with, or you would like to elaborate on something we said, or you found something that we missed altogether that you would like to share with us, please do so. You can send us owl mail at spewcast at gmail.com. Or the way we would prefer it is if you sent us a howler and you can do that from the link in the description. You could send it to the same Gmail address or if you're in the United States, you can call 407-706-SPEW. That is 407-706-7739. And don't forget that next month, March 15th, we're going to be covering Chamber of Secrets. So now is the time to start your reread. Mm -hmm. And we would like to close out this episode with our Autism Wizard segment. And I found a, a couple different stories I wanted to bring up. The first one was back in November. Adam Savage of Mythbusters uh -huh. went on a Twitter rant about how there is no scientific evidence that vaccine causes anything. And he also used the word hogwash. <laughs> so... Thanks, Adam Savage. Vanderbilt's Frist Center has developed software called CIRVR, which I actually could not find what that stood for. But this is a software that uses avatars and cameras and microphones and sensors to track eye movements to help neurodiverse people practice job interviews. So that's cool. 
I thought it was cool. There is a nonprofit called Whole Plant Access for Autism, and they just very recently got their nonprofit status, but they work to educate about possible benefits of cannabis for autism. Um, they currently offer three programs, and that is financial assistance, education and outreach, and data collection. And through their data collection, they have found that 77% have responded that cannabis helped their autistic child through improving their mood. 58% saw a decrease in anxiety. 50% saw increase in focus and social interactions. Uh, 46% saw a decrease in agitation, increase in speech, decrease in tantrums. 40% saw an improvement in sleep. So they are doing research. And so that's... Thank you, Whole Plant Access for Autism. Yeah. And the last little story I found is in Ireland, there was an entry in the Young Scientist and Technology exhibit by Hugh Murtaugh, who has autism, and has created a wristband with a button that sends a discreet alert to a teacher when the student is feeling overwhelmed. So it's just a great, simple idea that he, like, actually learned multiple programming languages to figure out how to do it, and he, like, built the teacher interface as a website with HTML and all sorts of stuff. Huh. Simple solutions. I love it. Yes. Good job, Hugh. Hmm. I think that wraps up today's episode, Queerness. I think so. Don't forget to visit us on Twitter. At Spectrum People is our handle. You can visit us on Facebook.com slash SpewCast. We also have an Instagram. It's at SpewPod. Don't forget, you can send us owl mail, SpewCast at gmail.com, or we would really love to get your howlers if you call 407-706-SPEW. That's 407-706-7739. And we'd like to thank Joan Burr for our theme music. As always. And don't forget to visit our website at SpewPod.UK. Mm-hmm. And until next time, I'm Queerness. And I'm Lavender. And as Luna Lovegood says, don't worry, you're just as sane as I am. Bye. Bye.